We Will Not Be Tamed, a Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation podcast that encourages all Texans to get involved in conserving the wild things and wild places of our state. I'm Lydia Saldana with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. I'm pleased to have Texas Parks and Wildlife Department Executive Director Carter Smith on the line. It's always a pleasure to catch up with Carter. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks, Lydia. Delighted to be with you. Well, we're heading into the cooler days of fall, which is always a great time to be outdoors in Texas. What's on your mind as we head into the last few months of the year? Oh, at this time of year, it's all about the doves, the deer, the ducks, the quail, the turkey, and and all of those wonderful wild things that we have out in our lands and waters across the state. And so, you know, fall brings football and hunting weather. And so that's really what's on my mind. Um, You know, to that end, um, on National Hunting and Fishing Day this year, we launched our statewide R3 plan. This is that recruitment, retention, and reactivation plan that's designed to help broaden and diversify and increase our numbers of anglers and boaters and and hunters and shooters. And it's part of a multifaceted, multi-layered national effort by the outdoor community with the outdoor industry and state fish and wildlife agencies and conservation and sportsmen and women groups to help, um, again, just ensure that the next generation of outdoor enthusiasts uh, get to enjoy all of these wonderful things that we have. And so we've worked with partners all over the state to put together this uh, Texas R3 plan, and we're really excited to be launching that and look forward to seeing the fruits of that to come for generations to come. Well, Carter, I know you and your staff and, of course, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission have had your hands full with issues related to CWD, especially in this last week. What's the latest on that front? Well, we have. And, you know, first, by way of background, you know, what is CWD? For those who haven't heard of it, um, it's a fatal, deadly disease that affects deer and other related members of the cervid family. It's a kind of a deer analog to BSE in cows or scrapie and sheep. And and regrettably, we have found CWD in Texas in both free range environments and in deer breeder related environments. And so we're very focused on trying to make sure we're doing all we can to help um, arrest the, the spread of this disease. And so last week, that was a major topic of discussion and deliberation by the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission as they continued to look for ways to help advise Parks and Wildlife staff about how best to, again, control the, the, the spread of disease throughout the state and make sure it doesn't spread um, throughout the state candidly. So what uh, what action did the commission take last week? So the, the commission considered a, a, a number of new rules um, designed really to help foster our strategies of early detection and containment. Regrettably, there's no no way to get rid of the the disease. It's incurable, at least as we know now. And so the the best things we can do is try to detect it at a very, very low prevalence where it exists and then work to contain it where it is so it doesn't spread. And so our commission has been very focused on those methods of transmission that have the most, most risk. And so, you know, I'll give you four examples of new rules commission has put in place, two in breeder pen related environments, two in more free range environments. And so in in breeder pens, two new rules were that that breeders have to test 100% of all the mortality, all dead deer 
in the pens have to be tested for CWD. And then any breeder deer that's going to be released from a pen into a release site, a high fence release site, has to have what's called an anamortem test, a live test prior to release. Again, trying to give us just the best possible assurance that we're not inadvertently spreading the disease to the to to the external environment outside the pens. And then two new rules that the commission put in place in more of a free range environment. One was the temporary suspension of the trap transport and transplant um, permit, which is a very popular permit that some landowners use to trap excess deer on their property and then um, restock other areas that that have low densities and are wanting to um, benefit from, from those deer numbers. But because of the risk, the commission put a temporary pause on that and asked us to come back with a proposal to strengthen that program and our testing confidence in, in January or March at the latest. And then something that, that um, may affect all hunters around the state is um, a new option for hunters um, that harvest antlerless deer. And sometime in, in mid to late December, this rule will go into effect. Pay attention to the uh, Parks and Wildlife website, and, and we'll certainly get the message out. But in lieu of hunters having to carry with them um, head of an antlerless deer that's harvested to show proof of sex to our game wardens, in lieu of that, um, they can they can um, instead bring um, the tail and the female genitalia um, off of off of a um, antlerless deer to again uh, prove prove sex. And so again, that will um, help preclude a bunch of deer heads from being moved all around the state, and again potentially unwittingly spreading the disease. So um, those are examples of of measures that the commission um, has has put in place again to help us. Um, control the spread of this deadly deer disease. I know that Parks and Wildlife is also dealing with the impacts of that horrific freeze that enveloped our state back in February. Um, how did the freeze impact fish and wildlife in Texas and what measures are being taken to mitigate some of those impacts? Well, some of the most impacted resources were, of course, the the massive cold stranding of sea turtles across the I think the largest uh, cold stunning event um, that's been documented, uh, certainly in the Gulf, perhaps in, in North America, with upwards of, of 13,000 turtles um, that were cold stunned in the bays. And there was just a Herculean effort by many public and, and private partners from the State Aquarium and Corpus Christi to our game wardens and biologists and, and, and fishing guides and anglers and boaters and others that chipped in to help um, rescue these sea turtles in the bays that were in danger of you know hypothermia and imminent death. And so many different facilities uh, housed turtles and were able to work with us to get them warmed up and back in a better place before um, we were able to release them back into the Gulf. And that was just a, a wonderful silver lining of all of that. Um, you know, we estimated very conservatively that we lost upwards of, of 4 million fish um, in our, our bays. And again, I think that's a fairly conservative estimate by our biologists. Most of those were, were bait fish, but um, we lost a lot of spotted sea trout, particularly in the mid and lower coast. Um, so much so that we worked with our Parks and Wildlife Commission to put in place an emergency rule um, to help um, limit the the bag limit, the catch of trout in the Laguna Madre from five fish to, to three. And we also 
changed up the slot limit, all designed to help accelerate the recovery and to protect the, the spawning females. So again, we could help facilitate a, a good hatch, a robust hatch. And, and by and large, I think that was very successful. As our biologists have continued to do follow-up gillnet surveys in the bays, we've recognized that that mortality event was um, probably more acute than, than, than we even realized up the mid-coast in places like San Antonio and Aransas uh, bays and a lot of the secondary and tertiary bays off that system. And so we're going to be talking to our commission about um, uh, potentially putting in place um, some expanded regulations along the coast to help, again, facilitate recovery of the of the trout populations. And, and that's something that, again, our, our commission will be talking about in November and, and January. But that's obviously an issue of great importance to our coastal anglers. Okay. Well, let's switch gears to maybe some happier news. <laughs> let's talk about parks. There's a couple of exciting things on the parks horizon, including the first new park in North Texas, uh, Palo Pinto Mountain State Park. And another good park news, the rest of Powderhorn Ranch is in the process of being transferred to the department for a future state park. Your take on, on that? Well, all wonderful things and generational in scope and scale and very propitious timing in that um, these things are... Uh, occurring uh, coincidentally with the um, impending centennial of our state park system in 2023. So it's exciting to be kind of finishing up uh, um, the century of stewardship of state parks and thinking about the next century with the um, advent of these new state parks. It's also a wonderful manifestation of this terrific public-private partnership that we have with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation to help expand the um, the public lands in the state and uh, acquire and create these new state parks, both of which would never would have happened were it not for the work of the Parks and Wildlife uh, Foundation um, and other partners like the Nature Conservancy to help acquire these sites. Um, and then Parks and Wildlife Foundation has helped uh, um, steward the Powderhorn Ranch, engage in, in, in some initial building and renovations of terrific research and habitat restoration um, there. And so it's really set the stage for our wildlife management area. And then that portion of the property, which will be the state park along Matagorda Bay and part of Powderhorn Lake. And we're excited about that. And then, as you noted, of course, up in up in North Texas at the Palo Pinto Mountain State Park, um, the Parks and Wildlife Foundation is literally building the park from the ground up. And so we're we're thrilled by that and the wonderful support from the philanthropic community to help leverage um, state and federal dollars to bring that to fruition and just in time for the centennial. So uh, great gifts to the, the state park system and, and people across Texas just in time for the, the 100th anniversary of, of our state park system. It's pretty awesome news. So, of course, the foundation continues to look for ways to assist the department in strategic land acquisitions, um, including Big Lake Bottom in East Texas. Um, I understand that a lot of partners are coming together on that uh, to make that transaction happen. You Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's been a priority bottomland hardwood track for us literally for decades. Um, it's got several miles of frontage here along the um, Trinity River. It's a big inholding in our Big Lake Bottom Wildlife Management Area, one of the 
magical jewels of East Texas, of eminently popular waterfowl and deer and, and hog hunting spot, really important for neotropical migrants um, that use that area for, for fallout and a, a side of just great botanical diversity as, as well. And, and so we've had our eyes on this property for um, many, many years, and the opportunity finally presented itself for us to potentially acquire it. And um, again, thanks to the work of the, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, who was able to act very nimbly, step in, negotiate a successful transaction with the seller, um, that in turn gave us the time to work with Ducks Unlimited and uh, the North American Wetland Conservation Council and some private donors to um, secure financing to, to help acquire it. And, and so we're, again, grateful for the, for the foundation and their, their terrific work to help add to the public land system and to build on to um, a really important wildlife management area for us in, in East Texas. So uh, pretty exciting news over in that part of the state. Well, another East Texas project that's a current priority for the foundation is the Edwin L. Cox Texas Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens. Of course, TFFC is celebrating 25 years this month, and the fundraising effort will prepare this facility for the next 25. Your thoughts about that? Well, but, you know, this is kind of where it all began for the, the Parks and Wildlife Foundation. And this whole notion of public-private partnerships and leveraging um, philanthropic dollars with with state dollars to help invest in strategic um, conservation and education and research and restoration needs of the department. And of course, it's fitting that it's um, named after uh, Ed Cox, um, one of the founders of uh, the Parks and Wildlife Foundation. He was the former chair of the Texas Park. Parks and Wildlife Commission and a resident there in Athens where the Freshwater Fishery Center is, is located. Um, and so this is one of our flagship public education and outreach places. People from all over come to learn about fish and wetlands and aquatic ecology and conservation. Uh, we have the, the, the Richard Hart Conservation Center where groups come to meet and utilize it for uh, conferences and symposia. Um, kids come out to, to learn how to fish their nature trails. We have a large hatchery um, there. And, and um, you know, after 25 years of public education and interpretation, um, you know, our exhibits and interpretive things um, have, have, have grown a little tired. Um, and so this gives us a chance to refresh those, modernize them, contemporize them, and again, to help tell the, the wonderful story of, of Texas fish and fisheries and fisheries management and the aquatic resources that are such an integral part of our state's uh, natural history. Um, and so we're, we're excited about this partnership. That's pretty cool. Um, let me switch gears again and uh, move to the national front. I, I understand that the Recovering America's Wildlife Act appears to be moving through Congress. Uh, what's the latest on that and what would it mean to Texas if it's passed? Well, this is transformational, um, and this is um, a nationwide effort, lots and lots and lots of partners um, across conservation, industry, 
business, education, research, and government, and, and really come together to look at how do we how do we finance um, in a meaningful way. Um, this big biodiversity challenge, the wildlife crisis that we're experiencing across all of North America with uh, um, just precipitous decline in various and sundry species. And um, the basis for the recovery of those species um, really lies in state fish and wildlife agencies wildlife action plans or conservation action plans. And those provide a, a very thoughtful, informed, strategic, measurable, actionable guideposts for how we're gonna recover fish and wildlife um, species. And so um, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act um, is a piece of congressional legislation that um, identifies funding of a little over a billion dollars a year to be allocated to the states. Um, to help keep common species common um, and to help keep rare and endemic and imperiled species off of the endangered species list by proactively investing in research and habitat conservation and restoration and, and stewardship and, and so forth. And so it's it's a very far reaching piece of, of legislation has um, very important implications for a state like Texas, which is very biologically diverse and has a lot of very unique species of plants and animals that could um, benefit from funding like, like this. Um, I think what's exciting right now is just the, the movement of this legislation, the bipartisan appeal. Um, you know, in the Senate, I think there's uh, upwards of 28 co-sponsors now, um, you know, roughly half are Republican, half are, are Democrats in the House. There's upwards of 125 sponsors. And, um, you know, thanks to the leadership of, of groups like the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation um, and the National Wildlife Federation and, and support, again, of, you know, our partners at the Parks and Wildlife Foundation, you know, we feel like we're getting some real traction here. So uh, we're, we're hopeful for what that means, uh, uh, not only for Texas, but but particularly for Texas, if it were to come to fruition. Oh, awesome. Well, I'll keep our fingers and toes crossed on that one. It's really good news. Um, as we wrap up, what else is on your mind that, you, that you'd like to share with us? Well, um, you know, again, I think going back to this um, R3 plan uh, for, for the state, and again, how do we recruit our next generation of hunters and anglers and boaters and shooters? The, you know, what's always top of mind for me is that personal investment that we can all make, you know, a commitment that we can make to introducing somebody new to the things we love. Um, and so, you know, taking a neighbor, taking a friend of one's um, family, taking a family member, a cousin, a, a co-worker, um, you know, someone who hadn't had a chance to experience the um, love and majesty of the outdoors and giving them a chance to enjoy all of the things we do is something easy that every one of us um, can take some ownership and responsibility for. And as we head into the fall with some of the best weather um, that our state has to offer and with plenty of things to do in terms of hunting and fishing and boating and shooting and heading out to um, our state state parks, I just encourage everybody to um, participate actively in those activities and make sure that you're making a special effort to uh, take somebody new and introduce them to the sports and outdoor activities that we all love. That's a great note to end on, Carter. Thank you so much for your time. We so appreciate it. Thank you, Lydia. 
Brought to you by Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, We Will Not Be Tamed calls us all to appreciate the wildness of Texas, the vastness of our Texas spirit, and why we should be inspired to conserve it. Find out more at wewillnotbetamed.org.